they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, December 17th. Is anybody counting the days down to Christmas? Well, we'll begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done to me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O most holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as always, we ask the angels to join us here. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Pleni sunt celi et terra, Gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. Well, today is December the 17th, it's Friday, and we are now entering into what's called the um, Christmas Novena, uh, the last nine, you know, seven, eight, nine days before Christmas, and the O Antiphons are being sung at Mass. Um, the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is based on the O Antiphons, the, these beautiful antiphons that gives the, the titles of our Lord, okay? Um, so, uh, but I want to begin here today with the prophet Isaiah. And we had uh, some very, uh, very inspiring, uh, this, this last week has been extremely inspiring. We had a, a retreat from the priests of the Opus Angelorum last weekend um, from December 9th to the 12th. And then on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday this week, we had a parish mission at the chapel. And um, we got an opportunity also, Father, the priests offered mass, you know, we, there are two priests. So one priest offered mass during the day and one priest offered the mass at the mission. And so they gave us some very beautiful insights, especially Father William Wagner, gave us some extremely profound insights, insights on the prophet Isaiah. And so on Wednesday, we had this reading from the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah 45. Now, it doesn't read the whole chapter. It's, it's parts of it. You have Isaiah 45, ch- verses 6c, which means the very last line of verse 6, to, and, to verse 8, and then verse 18, and then verse 21c through 25. 
and and through the prophet, the Lord says, I am the Lord, there is no other. I form the light and create the darkness. I make well-being and create woe. I, the Lord, do all these things. Let justice descend, O heavens, like dew from above. Like gentle rain, let the skies drop it down. Let the earth open and salvation bud forth. Let justice also spring up. I, the Lord, have created this. For thus says the Lord, the creator of the heavens, who is God, the designer and maker of the earth, who established it. Not creating it to be a waste, but designing it to be lived in. I am the Lord and there is no other. Who announced this from the beginning and foretold it from of old? Was it not I, the Lord, besides whom there is no other God? There is no just and saving God but me. Turn to me and be safe, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, there is no other. By myself I swear, uttering my just decree and my unalterable word. To me every knee shall bend, by me every tongue shall swear, saying, Only in the Lord are just deeds and power. Before him in shame shall come all who vent their anger against him. Uh, in the Lord shall be the vindication and the glory of all the descendants of Israel, the word of the Lord. So in the beginning of this reading, the Lord says, I am the Lord, there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. Now that's an interesting statement, isn't it? And Father pointed this out. It's like, well, wait, 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 create darkness. It says in the beginning, God said, let there be light. <laughs> and then he separated the light from the darkness. It doesn't say he created the darkness. It says he created light. So how is this? But notice he says, I form the light and create darkness. What is God referring to? Well, Father was explaining to us in his sermon that what God is telling us is that, you know, you have your own preconceived notions about who I am and how it should be and how your life should be and how things should go on this earth. And um, this is for us personally, okay, in our own lives, oftentimes when things don't go the way we want, we get upset with God. Or for instance, if we're doing a work of apostolate for the church and there's some kind of an obstacle, we say, oh, the devil, or oh, why is it so hard? Or, oh, I don't want to work that hard. Or, you know, we complain and we whine. Well, wait a minute. What is God doing? Well, you see, we have a difficulty. Because of original sin, we don't see things God's way. And we have our own ideas about how things should be. And sometimes we think our ideas are light when actually our ideas are darkness. And so what God has to do is he has to form the light in us. And of course, you know, in, in God's plan, we know overall that light is to form Christ in us. Christ is the light. Yes, he is. God is, he says, I am the light of the world. Okay. But he is the uncreated light. He's not the light that's created. So yes, God is light, but he's not the light that I, he's not the light of the sun. That's not God. You know, the stars, he's not the light of the stars. That's, that's created light. He forms Christ in us so that uncreated light can be in us. Because you see, by nature, we are uh, oriented toward our natural end. 
We're just oriented toward the things of this earth, toward created things. But God has made us to be in union with himself and to be oriented toward him. So he has to redirect our nature. And, and it's not that the, you know, our orientation toward created things is bad in and of itself. We need to eat. We need to rest. We need to, you know, sleep. We need to have recreation and, and, and um, times of rest. And, and we need to be able to eat and drink and have relations with other people. We need to have, we're made to be in relationship. We need to have human relationships. This is a, these are needs. They're real human needs. And without them, we get, you know, um, we can, we can get uh, pretty bound up and our emotions can get really wounded and we can start being directed and guided by our emotions and not by the light of our reason. So God has given us an intellect by which we can think and reason and understand that God is God and we are not. And then he made us for himself in union with himself, but we can't get to union with him without him. So God wants to create the light. He wants to form, excuse me, he wants to form the light in us and the light that he forms in us. And by the way, he does this through the work of our guarding angel. That's one of the big things that, you know, was really uh, for the retreat and the mission. We have to understand God has given us the angels to help us. They are helpers. They were created to assist man to come closer to God and to work in union with God. If we work with the angel, the angel will help us to work more closely with God and God's plan can be accomplished in us more easily. So, you know, take the hand of your angel, you know, angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love entrusts me here. Ever this day be at my side to light, to guard, to rule and guide from sinful stain. Oh, keep me free. And in death's hour, my helper be. And then the, the Opus Angelorum adds in my holy guardian angel, please take my hand. I promise docile obedience to your guidance. Please lead me safely to heaven. And so we want to be with the angels in heaven. So we want to cooperate in God's plan. So God wants to form the light in us. And the light that he forms is his own son. And what happens when, when he starts to enlighten us from within, the light that we had that we thought was light we begin to discover something about that light. And we're going to talk about that on the other side of the break. I hear the music. So thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. I want to thank all the radio stations who pick up our signal. I want to thank all of our benefactors, spiritual and financial benefactors, and all those who offer their prayers and sufferings for us. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more Bible with the Barbers on Friday, December 7th. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers here. Terry is uh, with our grandson, so I'm here in the studio with our um, my guarding angel. And um, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate that. Thank you for your support, financial support, all of you who support us. And also for those of you who pray for us and offer your sufferings for us. We need that support, and it, it really is powerful. So, um, uh, and again, uh, you know, people app, people who listen and sometimes answer, ask questions on the app, and I do try and get to them as soon as I can. Uh, when we're with our grandson, sometimes it takes me a week to get to the, the emails. But I do try and answer all your questions and your emails. If you've asked a question and it hasn't been answered, perhaps you can send it in again, and I'll maybe see it. But sometimes I miss them. Um, but also, those who send in their prayer requests, we do... Take those seriously. We do lift up your, your intentions in prayer. We want you to know that. 
So we're talking about the prophet Isaiah and the Lord saying that he forms the light and creates the darkness. So you see, we have the light of our reason. And sometimes we are not actually operating by the light of our reason, but we're, we're operating by the light of um, our emotions or our lower nature. We, you know, the desires of um, what we want, what makes us feel good. And so we think we have a, you know, a, an idea of what God is going to do in our life or something. And yet God needs to show us his plan. And if we're willing, he will, he, we have to ask him and we have to be willing to cooperate in that. And, you know, there's an example, um, even in the life of John the Baptist here, when John the Baptist, he sends his disciples to Jesus. And this is in Luke seven verses 18 B through 23. And this was the reading also from Tuesday's mass this week. And he asks them, he says, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? Well, you know, what's going on here? Is John just sending his disciples to assure them that, yes, Jesus is the Messiah? Remember, John is the one who, when he saw Jesus at the Jordan, he points him out and he says, look, there is the Lamb of God. And Andrew was one of the men who followed. And Andrew goes after, you know, follows Jesus. And Andrew is Simon Peter's brother. And he goes and gets his brother Peter and brings him, Simon, his brother Simon. And, um, but Andrew was a follower of John. So John is pointing to Jesus as the Messiah, but now John is in prison and he's coming to the end of his life. And, you know, there was an expectation that the Messiah was going to reestablish the kingdom of David, that he was going to make the Jews the rulers of the earth. And, you know, is this John, is he, is he really, you know, he was pointing out Jesus the whole time and is he beginning to wonder, is this Jesus really the Messiah? Or should we look for someone else? Now, what Jesus does in response is he says, tell John what you see and hear. Well, what does John see and hear? John sees and hears, I mean, the, the disciples of John see and hear what Jesus is doing. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's curing the lepers. And he's preaching the good news to the poor. Well, so what? What is that all about? Well, that's all about the prophecies of what the Messiah would do when he would come, okay? When the Messiah would come, he would do certain things, okay? And I'm trying to find this here. Um, yeah, verse 18. So we have this. Jesus says, the blind bestow, uh, bestow their sight, He cured many of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and many that were blind received their sight. He said, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Okay? And this is um, the prophet Isaiah had prophesied what the Messiah would do, what kind of things the Messiah would do. So you have in Isaiah 29, 18 through 19, and then 35, 5 through 6, and 61, 1, you have this prophecy of what the Messiah was going to do. And, the kind of, and so he's, he's telling John, yes, I am the Messiah. And John may have been expecting, and it's very you know, possible, for, he, he may, he, for one, he's possibly reassuring his own disciples that, yes, this is the Messiah, and when I'm gone, you need to follow him. But he also may be 
asking for reassurance for himself because was there someone else that was supposed to come? You're not establishing the kingdom of, of Israel. It doesn't look like you're going to throw the Romans, overthrow the Romans and establish Israel as you know, the king again, a, a kingship in Israel. And, and John may have been confused because this was even the apostles after three years of being with Jesus at the time, remember after his resurrection, and they're going out to the Mount of all of it for um, his ascension. And what do they say to him? Has the time come, Lord, for you to, to establish the reign of Israel now? Has, is this the time? Now is, now is that? This is, this is after the resurrection. He's about to ascend into heaven, and they're asking him. Now, these men had spent three years with him. He had formed them, and they were still expecting this worldly kingship, this worldly kingdom to be established. <sighs> And Jesus, of course, to his apostles, he tells them, well, you know, you're going to go back to Jerusalem and pray, and then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. And then when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit would enlighten them as to the fullness of the plan of God, that it's not an earthly kingdom he came to establish. And that's what he says to Pilate. If my kingdom were of this world, my subjects would be fighting to release me, but my kingdom is not here. So in the prophet Isaiah, God says, I form the light and create the darkness. So he forms the light, and the light that he forms is his, his son, the image of his son within us. And the darkness is that we begin to see that our own ideas, our own thoughts, and our own plans are actually darkness. They don't lead to the kingdom of God necessarily. And even if they're not sinful and evil in of themselves, they may be more about me and about, you know, my, it's kind of like uh, one of the examples Father gave this week was the prophet Balaam. And I don't know if you all remember the prophet Balaam, but the prophet Balaam was not an Israelite, but he was truly a prophet of God. And um, the king of the Moabites sends for Balaam to come and curse Israel because he wants to defeat Israel. And Balaam, remember Balaam's donkey? You know, Balaam's on his way to talk to the king, to, to do this prophecy for the king of Moab. God had told Balaam, don't go. And he goes. So on his way, the angel blocks the way. And Balaam is, he beats his donkey because his donkey won't go further. You know, the, the donkey keeps, the angel keeps appearing to the donkey and the donkey keeps, you know, interfering with the, the, the course of where they're going. And finally, at one point, the angel blocks the way. And Balaam beats his donkey because the donkey won't go forward. And the donkey speaks. He said, why are you beating me? And then the angel shows himself to Balaam. And it was, it was God's way of telling Balaam, look, I told you not to go to the king of Moab. Yes, I, I, I've used, you are my prophet, and I've told you not to go. But since you're going, you better say only what I tell you to say, or you're going to be in trouble. So when, when Balaam gets to the king of Moab, all he can do is bless Israel. And he gives this beautiful, beautiful blessing to Israel. And, and, and it's just like, oh, my gosh. And so... Um, you know, the, the king of Moab is furious. He's absolutely furious. I brought you out here. I'm paying you to curse these people. And you, here you are. You're blessing them. And and Balaam says, well, I can't curse them. And the reason I can't curse them um, is because God won't let me. But, but how does Balaam act? This is in the book of Numbers 24, uh, 22 through 7 and then 15 through 17. He says, the utterance of Balaam, son of Beor, 
the utterance of a man whose eye is true, the utterance of one who hears what God says and knows what the Most High knows, of one who sees what the Almighty sees, enraptured and with eyes unveiled. How goodly are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel. They are like gardens beside a stream, like the cedars planted by the Lord. His wells shall yield free-flowing waters. He shall have the sea within reach. His king shall rise higher. And so the utterance of Balaam, he's, he's, kind, he's exalting himself. <laughs> yes, he's a true prophet of God. God really does reveal things to him, but he's exalting himself, you know, the utterance of Balaam, the one who sees what the Almighty sees and knows what the Almighty knows. And it's a, you know, me, look at me. I'm so great. You know, I know what God knows. And I, that's not, you know, that's not the right attitude before God. <laughs> and it's not. And so again, God has to, he has to humble us. If God wants to work with us, he needs to humble us. He needs to take away our pride and our self-reliance. Balaam wasn't a prophet of God because God, because of any great thing Balaam did. It was because God chose him and he needed to be humble before the Lord. You know, and it's, it's like David, when David went out against Goliath, he didn't say, ah, Goliath, you know, you laugh at me and I may, but I'm going to get you. I killed a lion and a bear and I'm not afraid of you. He says, no, he says, Goliath, you come at me with your sword and your scimitar and your, all your armor and you're a, you're a seasoned warrior. And I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts whom you have defiled, uttered, made utterances against, I believe is what David says, in the, in, not in those words. But, and, and so it's by the, by the strength of the Lord that I come against you, just like St. Michael the archangel. You know, what is his cry? When, the, when, when Satan, when Lucifer cried out, I will not serve, Michael cries out, who is like God? In the name of the Lord of the God of hosts, whom you would stand up and defile, whom you have the nerve, as it were, to stand against. And that's one of the things in this, in, in the passage from the prophet Isaiah, one of the things that talked about, if you read that whole chapter 45, is this whole idea that, you know, who are we creatures to tell God that he shouldn't do what he does? You know, who are we creatures to challenge God and say, Lord, how dare you do this? Or how dare you have done that? Or why didn't you do it this way, Lord? Or why don't you do it that way? You know, it, it's, it's, um, no, we, we should not, we shouldn't be challenging God. It's not for us to challenge God. It's for us to humble ourselves before God and acknowledge that God is God. He is the Lord. We're not the Lord. It's God who is the Lord. And, you know, woe to him who strives with his maker, an earthen vessel with the potter. This is in 45 of the prophet Isaiah. You know, does the clay say to him who fashions it, what are you making? You know, God, you know, we're not supposed to take issue with God. Now, that doesn't mean we can't ask him why, you know, why am I suffering this? Or how do I offer this to you, Lord? Or, you know, but, but in the same, but we have to ask the Lord to reorient our nature to himself first and to put, you know, to put him before all others. Remember the first commandment is you shall love the Lord, your God with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul, without your whole soul, with all your strength. And, and he says, you know, Jesus said, he said, remember, if you don't, 
if you come to me without hating your father and mother, you're not worthy of me. And we want to talk about that on the other side of this break. And this all has to do with Advent and preparing our hearts for the Lord. And more than that, letting the Lord come in and prepare our hearts for him to come and take possession of us. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. We'll be right back after this break. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Friday, December the 17th for Bible with the Barbers. And again, Terry, he's babysitting our grandson. So, um, as I was saying before the break, um, we have to love the Lord our God first. And, and Terry just uh, slipped me a little um, tweet from Bishop Joseph Strickland a little um, note about what we should be doing as we prepare for Christmas. As we prepare for the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, let us rejoice that he is the only Son of God and the only Savior of humanity. To love him is to keep the commandments, the first of which is, Thou shalt not have false gods before me. Let us be firm in our worship of the Trinity. So, the Lord God must be first in our life. What does that mean? Well, remember, Jesus said, you know, when he asked the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees or the rich young man, you know, the, the rich young man asked him, what, what must I do to have eternal life? And, and so Jesus tells him, fourth commandment through the 10th commandment, you have to keep these. Well, that, but when he asked the, the Pharisee, asked him, what is the greatest commandment of the law? Well, Jesus said, well, how do you read it? And he said, to love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he said, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so on these two commandments rest the whole law, the man says to him. And Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. So yeah, first we love God and then we love our neighbor. Now again, I can't say I love God if I don't love my neighbor. So, you know, if, let's take marriage, for example. And so, you know, uh, we have we go to church every single Sunday, but then we come home and we fight with our husband or our wife all week long and we make contention in the family and we're always insisting on our own way and everybody has to listen to me and you have to do what I say and, and, and there's no there's not that give and take, there's not that growing in love, there's not that willingness to sacrifice. Well, we, we're not loving God. We're not loving God when we act that way. You know, if I'm insisting that everybody has to do everything my way, that, that's the darkness that Jesus is trying. You know, that's the darkness that God is creating. He's going to show us. He's going to show us that, that if we allow him in, he will show us that that's darkness. And that if we let go of that, then his light can penetrate us and we can actually be charitable to the people around us. So in a marriage, we have to love our spouses. Our, our salvation depends on loving our spouses, but we don't put our spouses above God. You know, for instance, <laughs> in some marriages, you know, somebody marries someone and they, they didn't realize it. And the person says, well, look, I want to use contraceptives and I want to limit our family size. And you have to say, no, God's commandment says, no, we can't use contraceptives. We can practice and we can learn natural family planning and we can do that if it's a grave necessity within our marriage. But children are part of what God has commanded for marriage and we have to be open to life. And it's not, it, it, we don't lord it over one another. 
It's not about, oh, the head, the, the husband's the head of the family, so he's in charge, and the wife, she's the heart, so she just, we can just walk all over her, you know. No, it's, it's about a mutual gift of self to the other. It's about love, real love. And we learn real love, first of all, from the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father pours himself out. He speaks this one word of perfect knowledge, which is a person, his Son. And the Son comes back to the Father, and he embraces the Father, and that embrace is so real, it's a person, and that person is the Holy Spirit. So you have this community of love and life from the beginning. And, and God chooses to make man to share his life with man, not that man becomes God or replaces God. In a marriage, a husband or a wife doesn't replace God, and you can't put them above God. But your spouse needs to know that you really love them, not that you love them more than God, that you love them more than you love yourself and your own self-will and your own ego. Your spouse needs to know that you're willing to sacrifice for them, that you're willing to lay down your life for them. That's mutual, by the way. And then the two of you together, your children should know that you're willing to sacrifice your life for them. You love them. Christ sacrificed himself for us. So we don't put people in front of God, but we don't try to escape the problems in the family by running off to church and saying, well, I'll just sit in church and pray all day. And then I don't have to deal with that cantankerous woman. Or after I get home from, after I get off of work, I'm going to, I won't go to the bar, but I will go to church and pray until nine o'clock when it's time. She's has to put all the kids to bed and she's got to clean the house and do dinner. And then I'll get home at nine o'clock and I can just slip into bed and because I don't want to deal with that, that tired, cranky woman who's been dealing with little children all day and she's been cleaning the house and doing all kinds of stuff and she's tired. And she doesn't always, she's not always real pleasant when I come home. So I, I just won't deal with that. I'll just, or the wife, you know, well, I'm, I'm tired of dealing with all the kids and my husband's indifference and his, his attitude of just um, lack of gratitude and lack of acknowledgement that I actually do anything. And I remember seeing a, a, one of these videos on, on YouTube, which I don't watch a lot, but this... This man comes home from work and his wife is, you know, she's, she's made this his favorite dinner and he came home late. So the dinner got cold and she puts it in front of him and he just insults her and he's just obnoxious and rude. And he says, well, how dare you? What do you do all day anyway? And, and she just kind of looks at him and she just kind of like, she's defeated and she just walks out of the kitchen. In the meantime, as she walks out of the kitchen, she drops a piece of paper in the trash and he goes over and he fishes the piece of paper out of the trash. And then you see a video of what she's done all day. You know, she got up and fixed him his breakfast so that he could get off to work, got his coffee ready, whatever, you know. And then, then the kids come in and they get up and then she's got to get them ready for school and she's got to take them to school. And then there was this to do and there was that to do and there was that to do. And then, oh, and she decides I'm going to make him his favorite dinner. And she makes him his favorite dinner and he comes home late. And he's looking at this list and all of a sudden you see this crestfallen look on his face. And he realizes, I'm being selfish and self-centered and I'm thinking of myself. You see, and this is when the light of Christ comes in, God's creating the darkness to show us you're in the darkness of your own ego. You're wrapped up in yourself and all you're seeing is yourself. And that's darkness. And I want to show you that that's dark, but I can fill you with light. I can fill you with light that will open you to be able to serve your neighbor in love, to be able to see me. You know, the Legion of Mary has that beautiful prayer. 
that we may be able to see and serve you in our neighbor, Lord, that we would be able to see you and serve you in our neighbor. And this is what we want to do. We honor the Lord. The Lord is first. But we see him and serve him in our neighbor. And so we serve. And it's not all about me. And this isn't marriage. This isn't any human relationship. People are going to hurt you. People are going to misunderstand you. People are going to take the things you say wrong. Or you might have said something that was really nasty. And you didn't think it was so nasty because, well, that's the way I felt. So that's the way I felt. So why shouldn't I say it? Well, honey, you know, if you see somebody's hat and you think it's ugly, telling that person that is the ugliest hat I've ever seen, that's not honesty, okay? That's you asserting your opinion about that hat. That's your pride. And you're not being charitable towards your neighbor. Find a way to build people up in the Lord. Say the good, only the good things men need to hear. Things that will truly build them up in the Lord. And then the light of Christ can come in and open our eyes to see good in our neighbor. We need to try to see the good. And you know, it's not a matter of feeling <clears throat> delighted about it. It's a matter of willing to see the good. So for instance, you might not feel like God is good, but can we stop and use our intellect to acknowledge, well, God created the sun, moon, and stars. When the day is beautiful and bright, that's a gift from God. When the flowers are blooming and the trees and the birds are singing and, and it's springtime. But every season, everything is a gift from God and there's beauty in it, isn't there? There's beauty in the snow. There's beauty in the, in the, in the spring. and the, there's, there's even beauty in the fall when things are dying. There's beauty in it all, and especially in the summer when everything's in full bloom. And who made all this? God did. Who made us? My life is a gift. I didn't make myself. God made me. And, and he wants to share his life with me. And he wants me to know the joy. So I can will to take delight in God. Well, the same is true of our neighbor. No matter how bad your husband is, no matter how bad your wife is, no matter how bad your kids are, there's some good in every single one of us. God made us all and he made us in his image. And we're all good. And we need to see the good in one another and will to take delight in the good that we see. And when we do that, then God shows us that this, this self-centered vision of life where I am the center of my world, and if anybody hurts me or looks at me cross-eyed or says anything that I don't like, well, I'm going to cut that person out of my life. That's not godly, and it's not going to make me a better person. It's going to make me more self-centered and selfish and more clammed up and closed in on myself and, the, and darker and darker inside. It's only when I open myself to the light, the light of Christ, to expand my heart and to recognize and realize no matter what anybody's done to me, whether they meant to do it on purpose or it was an accident and how many accidents happen, how many times do people offend us and they don't even know they're offending us. It's a total accident. You know, total accident. But if we open ourselves to the light of Christ, then he can fill us with his light and we can acknowledge the good we see in our neighbor. We have to strive to forgive the injuries. You see, if we don't forgive the injuries, then there's all this darkness within us. And the light of Christ comes in. He's trying, you know, God's coming in. He's trying to form light within us. And that shows the darkness. It shows all this darkness within us, the darkness of 
unforgiveness, the darkness of resentment, the darkness of bitterness, the darkness of self-pity, the darkness of, well, nobody knows how much pain I'm in and nobody knows how much I suffer and they just don't understand and nobody could ever understand because they're not suffering what I'm suffering. By the way, you know, that's, that's a temptation for anyone and everyone who has ever been molested. You're tempted to think that way. And the reality is, is what it is, is you're being, you're being tempted by the world, your own flesh, and the devil to focus on yourself and to be enclosed in darkness. And God is saying, open up to me and I will form light in you. And then you will recognize that darkness as darkness and you can reject it. And that darkness can go out from you by the power of my light coming in. So we want to open up to the light of Christ and we have to take another break, but we'll be right back with more on Bible with the Barber. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, December the 17th. We've come to the last portion of this show today. It's going too fast. But we're talking about um, the prophet Isaiah and the prophecies that God inspired him to to prophesy. And um, we were looking in particular at Isaiah 42, and yet, you know, I, the Lord, create darkness and, and um, for Isaiah 45, excuse me, Isaiah 45 and make the and form the light. So how God wants to form his light in us. And when he does that, it's going to expose the darkness within us, the darkness of egocentrism, where we're centered on ourselves and the darkness of unforgiveness, the darkness of resentment, the darkness of self-pity, the darkness of, of um, you know, putting other people down, the darkness of wanting to lord it over others, the darkness of actually just, you know, looking at our own gifts and talents and then accusing everybody else of being lazy because we're so gifted and talented and they're not. Well, you know, we're supposed to be focused on God. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, and soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus even said, love your neighbor as I have loved you. So lay down your life for your neighbor. And this is, this applies to our whole life across the board. In, in marriage, in um, between brothers and sisters, between brothers-in-laws and sisters-in-laws and, you know, nieces and nephews, family and extended family. And we live in a world where the family is just torn apart, don't we? Where, you know, how many families do we have that are actually a loving family where people are, you have children who are born to one man and one woman who are committed themselves to each other for life and they're not going to divorce or walk away when troubles, when things get hard. And part of that has to do with being willing to die to myself and my own preconceived notions and you know, even die to my perfect paradise. Look, this is my perfect paradise. I wanted it to be this way. Well, you know what, Lord, I'm willing to renounce my perfect paradise and I'm willing to let you, Lord, be in charge and um, direct the lives of my children and my husband. And you're going to get us all to heaven, Lord, and I'm going to trust you to do that. And I'm going to love them and serve them for love of you. And I'm not going to demand of them that they live their life according to my lights. Okay. So we, we want to open our hearts to the light of Christ so that God through the power of the Holy spirit can form Christ in us and then enlighten us. And the light that he's going to, that light is going to show forth our sins and our weaknesses 
and, and even our faults that aren't necessarily sinful, but little things that we have to weed out of our lives in order to give God more room to work in and through us, to, to create more light in the world so that we can be a light of the world, that we can be, that Christ can shine through us, in and through us, that he can live in us and then shine through us. And the light will be all from him. None of it will be ours. It won't be our light. It's Jesus shining through us. So we want to open our hearts to this and we want to open our families to this. We want to acknowledge the good we see in our spouses. We need to stop criticizing one another and tearing one another down. We need to start building one another up in the Lord. Thank you. Thank you for taking out the trash. Thank you for making that meal. Thank you for serving the family. Thank you for going out to work. Thank you for cleaning that room. Thank you for doing that laundry. Thank you for folding those clothes. Thank you for all the little things you do that are a consideration. You know, thank you for all that you do and all that you are and the good that you can be and the beauty that you are. Let's, you know, look at one another as uh, we're children of God, brothers and sisters of Christ, temples of the Holy Spirit, heirs in the kingdom of heaven. We're all made in God's image as persons to be loved. But we weren't made for a finality here on earth. Again, we talked about John the Baptist and the apostles and many in Israel expecting Jesus, the Messiah, whoever the Messiah was to be, to establish a worldly kingdom. And he didn't do that. So he wants us to have our focus focused on heaven. We're not looking for an earthly paradise. So in the, in the condition, in the state that we live in, in the, excuse me, in the condition of our current world that we live in, according to this pandemic, this this pandemic that's been created, it's actually a pandemic of fear. And what is fear being used to do? Fear is being used to dominate people, to make them willing to give their lives over the, to the tyranny of a tyrant. Okay? We need to live in the freedom of the children of God. Do not be afraid of dying. Be afraid of not living life to the full. Be afraid of not allowing Christ to live in and through you. Be afraid of committing sin and offending God. But don't be afraid of death. We're all going to die. Every one of us. None of us gets out alive. We're all going to be put in a coffin and buried in the ground. Well, maybe not. Maybe some of us will be cremated. That's okay as long as we acknowledge the resurrection of our Lord. You know, cremation is not a way to deny the resurrection of the body. The Lord rose from the dead. We too will rise. Our bodies will rise from the dead. We, we don't deny that. But, and it's not, it's not a sad thing that we're destined to die. We weren't born to die. We were born to live, to live in union with God. And if we live in union with God, then death is a passageway. It's a passageway from this passing world to eternal life. It's a passageway from living in the veil where things are going to be partly dark and partly light to be brought into the fullness of the light where there is no darkness. And this is what Christmas is about. It's not just about, again, looking backwards nostalgically at this little beautiful baby who is beautiful. And granted, who's afraid of a baby? Well, modern world. I'm sorry. Yeah, we do have a problem in this modern world, don't we? We shouldn't be afraid of a child. Yes, a child calls for sacrifice, but that's good. Sacrifice helps us to grow. I give up my own will. I give up my own ideas, my own preconceived notions. And I realize, you know what? The world isn't out to get me. As a matter of fact, most of the world isn't even thinking about me. They're just thinking about themselves. So we want to think about others, but in a good way, and to try and serve others and to allow the light of Christ to come in and for Christ to form his light in us so that we can build his kingdom here on this earth. And we should be praying for his coming again. 
There was a beautiful Christmas novena. You start, it started on the Feast of St. Andrew, which was November 30th. Hail and blessed be the hour and the moment in which the Son of God was born. At midnight, in Bethlehem, in piercing cold, in that hour vouchsafe, O my God, to hear my prayer and grant my desire through the merits of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and of his Blessed Mother. So we remember his coming in the past, but we look forward to his coming in the future, his final coming. But we also want him to come right now. Come, Lord Jesus, come now. Come into our hearts and fill us with your light. Open our hearts and dispel the darkness. And, and in the reading from Isaiah for Thursday, which is um, from Isaiah 54, I believe. Yep, Isaiah 54. At the end of the reading, it says, This is for me like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah should never again deluge the earth. So I have sworn not to be angry with you or to rebuke you, though the mountains leave their places and the hills be shaken. My love shall never leave you nor my covenant of peace be shaken, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. Remember the Lord's enduring love. I take pity on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. He said, for a brief moment I abandon you, but with great tenderness I take you back. Yes, God punishes us for our sins, but that punishment is remedial. It's like that, when we... When we discipline our children which should never be done in anger don't discipline a child just because you're irritated as a matter of fact we shouldn't let ourselves get to the point where we're irritated and i remember once a man gave a talk on it and he said discipline you know you tell your children this is what you're going to do and when they disobey you that's when the discipline comes not the fourth or fifth time when now you're irritated at them because they're not listening when you speak, they have to know that when you speak, your word has meaning and you're going to enforce it. And the reason that is, is because they have to understand that the word of God has meaning and it will be enforced. But remember, disobeying the word of God, if we persevere in that to all our death, will have an eternal consequence that we'll be separated from God for all eternity. And we don't want our children to be separated from God for all eternity. So we teach them to listen when we speak. Gently take your child's face in your hands and speak to them directly. Make sure that they hear what you're saying. And if you have a child who has a particular difficulty with understanding or, or uh, paying attention, make them repeat what you say. Now you understood what I said. Okay, now repeat it. Now, now I want you to do what I said. But never, never, never betray your child by telling them to commit a sin. Always tell your children to do what is good and right and holy. What builds up the kingdom of God. And we have to teach our children by example to be forgiving. To not hold resentments. To not feel sorry for ourselves. I'm not going to pity myself. I renounce the self-pity. I'm going to change the subject of my inner... I'm going to change the subject of my meditation by ceasing that inner dialogue. Oh, those people out there, they don't care about me. They're so mean. They won't buy me clothes. They won't buy me gifts. They won't buy gifts for my children. They don't even care. Well, honey, maybe they don't have money to buy you gifts. And maybe material things aren't what you need, although they give you a bit of titillation, you know? Everybody doesn't have to approve of the way we treat other people. 
Maybe the way we're treating other people is very bad. Maybe we're so emotionally wounded and wrapped up in ourselves that we tear other people down and we criticize them instead of building them up. And, and other people around us see us doing that and they're like, well, you shouldn't do that. So then you get angry and say, well, then you're out of my life. You know? We need to be forgiving. We need to give up our resentments. And we need to change the subject of our meditation. It's helpful to read the Gospels every day and to read Scripture every day so that we have something else to meditate on other than our hurts and our wounds. It's real easy. You know, it's like that. When I got a big wound on my hand and I keep picking at the scab and picking at the scab and I'm making it worse and it's not getting better because I keep picking at the scab. We do that same thing emotionally with our wounds inside and we keep thinking about, oh, that person hurt me and what that person said. And I keep going on over that dialogue, over that conversation. But actually, when I go over and over that conversation, I don't necessarily remember it the exact way it happened. Sometimes I rewrite that conversation and I write into it, oh, that person was trying to hurt me. They did this deliberately to hurt me. Not necessarily true. So you see, Jesus wants to show us that that's darkness within us. And he wants to form the light of his presence within us by the power of his Holy Spirit. So Lord Jesus, come into our hearts, fill us with the light of your presence and cast out the darkness of our sin, the darkness of our unforgiveness, the darkness of our bitterness, the darkness of our resentment, the darkness of our self-pity, and help us to be kind and patient and to forbear with others because you, Lord, are forbearing with us and you forgive us our sins. We too make an act of the will to forgive all those who have injured us. Thank you again for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Christmas is coming. Make ready the way of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into our hearts and we pray, Lord, for your second coming. That we pray for the coming of your kingdom, that your will be done and your name be glorified in us. Hope to see you again next week on Bible with the Barbers. Merry Christmas. Holy Advent, what's left of it. <laughs>